You're listening to Ink Studs on CITR 101.9 FM at UBC in Vancouver. My guest today is Carol Tyler. Uh, Carol was first on, I guess, a year and a half ago. Does that sound right? When the first You'll Never Know came out. Um, We had a fantastic conversation that went for an hour and a half, uh, at which point in the last 10 minutes I realized we hadn't actually discussed the new book that she was on for and uh, ran out of time because we talked about so much else. So we have a lot to discuss today. Uh, You'll Never Know came out, or book two came out over the winter, was it October, I think, September? Well, there was some um, some what do you call it? Copies, <laughs> advanced copies. That's what I'm looking for. There were advanced copies ready for San Diego, but oh, okay. the official release of the book was not until I think yeah September, October, something like that. I'd forgotten about that. You were at San Diego, and um, mm-hmm. had you yeah. done that convention at all recently, or before? Well, it was in once and it was in uh eighty eight. <laughs> you know. It was big and crazy then, but it was much more personable, you know, fun and you know, a small group of people and uh I had met a lot of people there, um that you know, like the I had met the Hernandez brothers and uh, Mary Fleener, people that I'd been in magazines with and stuff before, but it was so much fun mm-hmm. in 88, and I was there for the um, Ron Turner and Trina Robbins had put together the Dory Cito Award. You know, she had passed away mm-hmm. the year before, and everybody was so uh, upset about that. Didn't know what to do, so they came up with an award that never repeated. <laughs> it was supposed to be for Best new female cartoonist or something like that, and I, I was awarded that. It oh was wow! Very emotional. I was, I was, I had, I couldn't. I had so much in my head I wanted to say, and I couldn't because it was, it was so intense. You know, everybody was so sad about Dory and and uh, some politics involved. So I just cried. Thank you. <laughs> that was it. But managed to have a good time in San Diego. But this time, wow. Big. Yeah. <laughs> I I couldn't imagine it. <laughs> Big and crazy, and I had a weird thing happen. I mean, among weird things, um, I was there for like four days, and each day was different and wonderful. Um, but I got stuck in between. In San Diego, there's a railroad tracks, like a commuter line, for a little trolley. And there's a stop place in the middle. I was standing there, and I thought, why are there, like, motorcycle cops and all this stuff? And I'm looking around. It was just me, and we were waiting. It was ding, ding, ding. You know, you couldn't couldn't cross. So I'm stuck in the middle with, turns out it was the Phelpses, you know, those people that that protest. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, like yeah. The, those horrible people. The Westboro. Westboro Baptists. Yes. At the corner with that, I didn't realize oh, at the time. No. Yeah, and, and I'm looking down there. These God hates bag signs and all this. I thought, oh God, it's those people. So I thought I'm going to go for the girl. And to the little girl, I said, uh, "So you know what? <laughs> It'd be a lot of fun if you can make it inside. That's a hell of a lot more fun than this." 
and one of the middle-aged women came up and said, where are you at? I'm spewing, you know, just the spewing thing. I said, is this any way to be really, come on, look, it's a beautiful day. And then the light changed, and I thought, oh, get out of here. And, of course, they were completely uh, shot down by the comics people. Yeah. didn't have an effect at all. No. <laughs> I think they, they, it was probably one of the hardest crowds to upset. They'd be like, Mm-hmm. They're used to being picked on. And it's kind of like, yeah, yeah, you know, you don't like what we do. But I, no one did when we were growing okay. up, and now we're together. And we all like what we do. But I did plant the seed. I planted the seed in that little girl's head. There's a there's a better way to live, and there's more fun inside yeah. comics. So who knows? This that whole, I don't know what to describe them as. They frighten me. <laughs> Just... I may have unleashed, though, on her the new... The upcoming brand new Jane T. Chick? Who knows? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, it, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know where to go from there. Um, I heard good things <laughs> about you. Don't you don't have to go nowhere. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I can tell you about San Diego. We're supposed to be talking about but I was there because my book. Yeah, That's well, right. there's one thing that I, like, I don't want to talk too much to San Diego, but I was reading, Tom Spurgeon was talking about the panel he did uh, with you, where you had gone off after the panel and, like, continued the discussion, and I'm curious about how it was, like, folks at a event like San Diego were engaging with your work. Well, San Diego is huge, 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 and mm-hmm. people are there truly to see, I think it was Twilight or V or whoever, you know, Hollywood people, that TV stuff, Warner Brothers, it was, you know, mega. You know, it really does have that huge commercial direction. And um, my sister was with me. She came with her daughter, and um, she was going, kill this is so exciting of all the people you know you get your own panel she was so excited for me and what I did was during the discussion or after the discussion and we were kind of coming to a close I said you know I, there are so many things I had brought up that were uh, deep and intense mm-hmm. I said, so we can further discuss if anybody feels like you know you want to, we want to keep the discussion going I'd be happy to meet you out out there in the lobby area right outside the room it's a nice sunny spot we could sit and enjoy ourselves and have conversation and so there was a small group of people we did have it was mostly like how's it going in san diego you know they were just surprised that i was accessible i think that's what it was you know? yeah that that uh invisible wall of the person up there and then i became a real person so it, it, they, they were a little bit like uh Wow, this is cool, but it's also a little bit awkward. You know? Yeah, oh, it is yeah. interesting how it's created a barrier between artist does, yeah. and audience, um, mm-hmm. and I, it's a weird feeling with the whole. I don't know if necessarily putting people on pedestal or putting artists on display. Um, well, you just you know when you when you have an interest, you follow your interest, and you find yourself you kind of get in a different state of mind. Yeah. And you're connecting with that person. If you follow that person's work and then there they are, it's just like, wow, they're wearing a plaid shirt. (laughs) Oh, my brother-in-law has a shirt like that. You know, you think of weird things and... Nice commonalities. Yeah. And I, I remember when I first 
I've met a lot of famous people in my life, and that was one of the first things that struck me was how normal they were. Yeah. You know. Um, and I I kind of accept that. You know, you when you are a public person, you brand yourself, you have a persona or whatever, and it's really not to anyone's service to uh, to to blow that. You know, blow that. You know, let let people have their thoughts of who you are to them. Yeah. Whatever. I I don't want to. I mean, there's the truth, and I deal with the truth when I tell my stories. You know, I'm telling them as accurately as I believe them to be, and I try to infuse them with a great deal of humanity, and I try to make sure that um, I maintain a level of uh, verity. Is that the right word? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um. It can't always be 100% true because it just doesn't work like that. With storytelling, you have to bend things a little bit to make it fit because you're 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 not in real life anymore. You're on a page. Well, I mean, so one, has to be a shift. one thing, um, especially with your work, because it is very honest. You're telling not just your story, but a lot of people's, your family's story. Um, mm-hmm. Where do you balance that sense of privacy? with the sense of importance to the story? That's something, that's a good question, because that's something I keep on my mind, how much of this is public and how much is private. But so long ago, I pulled the curtain down on that one. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I also understand that People cannot bear. How much can they bear? How much do? You, what else do you want to know? You know what color my underwear is. I mean, at a certain point, it's stupid. Nobody really cares. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of emotional truth or things like that, um, what's wrong with that? As if it if it strikes that universal chord of recognition and. One of the things I seek to do with my story, especially with You'll Never Know, in terms of people who have been hurt by trauma, is that they can somehow connect or commiserate, and they don't feel so alone with their own pain. And I'm I'm not doing it to be altruistic, but it's just like I recognize that. I recognize that people hurt. And... It does help when you read about somebody else's situation or something that goes on with them. And I do believe that a whole, our, my entire generation was marked by World War II mm-hmm. and the fact that our dads coming from that generation were not self-revealers and how much they bore and sh- shrugged off and stuffed and buried and how that did in the shaping came that we have so much of a collective experience as a generation in our drug use and our risky behaviors and our string of husbands and wives and all that kind of stuff and just the choices we've made and I don't believe that the selfishness that was foisted upon us would have been there had our dads been fully emotionally present after having endured what they did so I'm not I'm not exactly saying we were bought off as children, but I'm saying that the peacetime that came 
I had come to understand was a very deeply unsettled peacetime, the 50s. Mm-hmm. Not just because of the bomb, but because of the level of violence that they had seen and lived uh, in in their time in service. Millions of men, millions. That was that was the they really all served. yeah. Well, I'm, a one page in in the second, you'll never know. You really put it out there where it was what three million that served in Europe and. Yes. 417 plus thousand um, died in service in Europe. That's mm-hmm. 20% almost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it was bad. And, you know, when I, the more I study about the war, because now, now that's where I'm in in book three. I'm working on, we're talking about book three, two in this interview, but in book three, I'm really getting into the, the details of, of the carnage. <laughs> um, there's U.S. military deaths, but this was a world war. Yeah. So the, and uh, the level of commitment and involvement and what civilians had to go through. My God, if we, when you know the truth, it just dwarfs everything and anything that's happened since. So I have become so uh, in-depth. My, my knowledge of World War II, my knowledge of war and history, has I've increased that to the point where, um, I don't know, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just uh, amazed at, you, you know, how... Um, we seem to have left it behind or forgotten it or something. I can't believe this. If people knew what that war, the the effects of that and what had happened, people would be thinking differently. But people forgot that. <clears throat> forgot what our, and forgot what the, uh, our, the men of our country did. Sacrifices. It's an unbelievable. It's an unbelievable story. It is the biggest story of the 20th century, and that's why I say it is the biggest shaper of a generation being my mm-hmm. generation. So, having said that... <laughs> Which has shaped I my generation out. in turn as well. Yeah. Now, I don't know how old you are. My I'm, daughter's 25. I'm 33, almost. Okay. Well, yeah, I would say that the, the imprint is long, strong, and, uh, and... and you might say, well, why, why recognize it? Just, like, get over it or something like that? You know, you have to understand what happens in, by understanding history. You can get a more informed sense of, like, the, what it means to be human beings so that you can make informed decisions and choices for the future. So that's sort of like what I impart as an educator and as a parent. I take all of this stuff that I've absorbed and learned <laughs> and make sure that uh, I uh, put forward the effort I put forward is almost I acknowledge that and I want to improve the odds of success for the future you know so we don't do that again yeah and I tell my students I said you know yeah you can sit here and do zombies and guys with their heads cut you want to do comics like that fine you can do that but you know what elevate it mm-hmm. let's get up here 
Let's pull up, pull the people up around you. Uplift. Otherwise, what are you doing? Then I think, oh, God, Tyler, come on. Everybody has to find their way. But for me, I just feel like, and, and so you would ask about autobiographical. It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to talk about somebody else, it's never to hurt them or never to, like, grill them and all that stuff. The point of that is that you have to go to the tough spot to find to find the redemption or something. I don't know what I'm trying to say. Well, there's something that um, that Chester Brown said um, is, is about how the importance of telling a story that others can find a commonality with. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Where he I don't know how much of his work you've read, um, but his work, I mean, is very personal um, mm-hmm. on awkward adolescent subjects, and mm-hmm. he does it in such a way that you can really tie into it and go, that was my experience, too. And yeah. I didn't talk to anyone about it, but that that hits with me. Yeah. And I guess you're all, with, with You'll Never Know... Um, that's something as well where you're touching on where you're talking about that generational aspect where it's not really discussed as much as a trauma component does that make sense and i never really i didn't recognize my own pain in it either mm-hmm. um you know i um you know my own sadness <coughs> sadnesses and missteps and all of that and it's not a blame game thing at all it's just like that could be a root cause that could explain things, but ultimately I'm responsible to turn that around. And it was never in my dad's intent to harm. Um, you know, it's it happens, and it's not just. I hope I got this across. My particular experience, and I'm talking about the aftermath of war, but there are people that suffer trauma for their dads didn't go to the war or they have a single mom and she's a batterer. I mean, there's all kinds of people that are messed up and hurting and mental illness and you name it, trouble, alcoholism. Um, Nobody comes out of this life unscathed. We all have an impression put upon us. And so we just have to, uh, part of what I want to do with the book is just say, yeah, it's tough, but you can rise to the occasion and and uh, somehow prevail, you know. Um, somehow there's something that will be okay. I was thinking about the work a lot last night, and I kind of had a contrast in my head, and I mean it specifically in the context of how you're documenting family and how your family deals with trauma, um, where I was thinking about uh, the work Art did with Mouse, and it feels very different, and I want to make this comparison not because they're both books about World War II, um, but about the fact that they're both documenting um, that family legacy component. And mm-hmm. I'm wondering, because I do feel like you're coming from completely different angles where, um, and it's been a while since I read Mouse, so I hope I'm not getting it off, um, where with that, it's kind of an internalized neurosis. With yours, it feels more like you're saying like it's kind of a release. Okay, 
to ask that question again. <laughs> I want to make sure I understand it. No, because you're referencing mouths, and I really want to understand it correctly. I hope I'm understanding what I'm saying as well. Um, it's <laughs> well. I mean, I guess I'll start out with um, because it's hard to do a comic of this kind without having that be something that you, you know it's there it's you know art's done this work where he's documented his family and how maybe you've responded to his work in creating your own work well i oh, let me talk a little bit about my relationship with mouth mm -hmm. i lived in new york city in the beginning of the time when he was doing mouth with raw magazine yeah I was a close friend of, of Art's, but I did know him enough to do some, oh, I was one of the kind of kids in New York in the early 80s that would show up at the right places, you know, hip things, and one of the things I did was help put raw posters up around town and go to some raw parties and stuff like that, but I was never, my work was not happening yet, enough that I could contribute and there was like that first wave of people that was out there doing the raw and stuff. And it was great to be, you know, I knew he was doing that. I saw his studio and it was um, something that I knew, we all sensed that this was big and important. Um, but when I saw it as a completed work years later, not living in New York anymore and being a parent, you know, and saw it as a completed work, I, you know, I thought differently about its place in culture and it's something that people can uh, like students reading it is you know the value is you can't uh, say enough about its value as uh, telling that story mm -hmm. but I never you know I, I always had in my head although I didn't have a plan at the time but I always had in my head yeah and you know my dad kind of was part of You know, I, I wondered about my dad's experience as not being uh, as uh, deeply sad, tied to the sadness of the Holocaust, but yet there was a different kind of a sadness and a weight that I sensed, and so it wasn't to counter or to add to Art Spiegelman's work in any way, but it was like, well, my dad was part of that big thing too and then I just had, that thought came and then it was gone and I, I never knew what to um, I, I didn't know where it would go mm -hmm. so then when my mom told me about Anne my sister um, that became a, something I had to make a story out of right away and uh, when I found out about it within a couple years it became a published piece but you know dad did not talk to me about his war experience and I had no idea about what had happened with him so it was around the time that he did tell me that I, I realized okay now I need to talk about this I need to talk about what the bigness of what this is for him and for me and you know I felt the same vibe of intensity and importance that I knew uh, that Art must have felt when he did, when he addressed his story. Mm -hmm. Although I did not have the sadness of losing my mother 
or the Holocaust. But I did have a very wounded, damaged person who had shaped my life. And I felt that that somehow had to do with everything. I didn't quite know. And I remember being in this room, and this was in, right after you moved here in 2003. The rooms were empty, and I just got a pencil and wrote right on the wall. Uh, I had a big line, and I had this side and that side, and I thought, I've got to take, a, take this line. I've got to go all the way across. How am I going to do this? I don't know, but I know there's this piece and this piece and this piece. And I sort of blocked out, and I got Post-it notes, and I blocked out some of the pieces, and I just cried my way through a story uh, that I knew I had to tell that was so intense. I didn't know if I could handle it. But nevertheless, it would have to be done. It was not about the Holocaust, but it was about, definitely, it was about uh, pain and loss and shame and disconnections and uh, uh, missteps, mm -hmm. etc. <clears throat> and I think I've told everybody just about that I couldn't do it in one shot because I, I'm dealing with people who are still alive, <laughs> who are very old. You know, my parents are 92. It's amazing. And I know. And so I thought, I did say, you know, I don't want he, I don't want you going anywhere until I finish this. But I, I just didn't want to, uh, for them to never realize this effort that I was going to do. I wanted them to, to enjoy that. So that first book is slanted towards Dad, the great guy. You know, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. You know, and he's amazing. He goes around, he hands them out like business cards. It's <laughs> a big business card. <laughs> yeah, that's me on the cover. Yeah, that's me. But he doesn't say, look at what my daughter drew. He says, look, a book about me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's me. I'm a, I'm a crazy dude, ain't I? I'm, I'm a crazy man. <laughs> um... That was wild. I, I I've talked to 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 veterans of the Second World War, and that's something I was talking about: is the 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 wild, crazy fun. If they talk about anything, not the combat, it's the the downtime. No, that, that's because they can't talk about the combat. It's yeah. too intense. Yeah. Bothers them. So that's what they do focus on. You know, <laughs> that son of a bitch, he went over there and kaboom, it blew up. <laughs> and I'm like, what? <laughs> That's how they coach. Stay drunk and laugh about it. Um, so, did, so did I answer your question about Spiegelman? You did. Spiegel you did. You did. Yeah. No. I'm just kind of taking it all in. I, I don't like to compare myself because I've never heard Art say anything about my work. And, <laughs> um, you know? Yeah. We're not on the thing. Um... He deserves all the credit for the efforts that he has done. And I, you know, I hesitate to say, I did something just like Miles. No, it is different. There are going to be comparisons. But yeah. what I have done is different, yes. Yeah, and that's the thing. It is a very different book, and that's why I'm wondering. It's like, because you're, resp in some ways, there is some sense as as a writer where you do respond to other work in how you're creating your work, right? So you see how someone mm -hmm. engages oh. with that material and that can well, inform I could, go ahead I'm trying to 
I'm trying to um, <clears throat> what I'm trying to do is measure against my own progress mm-hmm. you know I had a tough time as a child with reading and comprehension and I've had to work really hard at cozying up to dictionaries and thesauri and thesauri to improve my skills Mm -hmm. Uh, reading was not something that we did at home it was not encouraged we were encouraged like I said in the book to move piles of rocks from one yard side of the yard to another or hold up this thing and it's bored and my dad was busy all the time that's how he stayed didn't think about things so to, to quote unquote sit around and read was considered a waste of one's time to be efficient and busy was the goal so um, that's something I really got into in earnest in my higher education and in college was I really wanted to improve that skill so the struggle for me has been to work towards maintaining the, you know, as much clarity as possible and yet um, keep it in the zone that I like, which is, you know, the artistry, the aesthetics, and all of that kind of stuff, but try to be clear in telling the story straight up. Yeah. What am I trying to say, you know? <clears throat> I know that it's not perfect. It's not a perfect work. But I put the artwork and the, the desire to storytell from my um, emotional life ahead of maybe writing a script or having an outline or something like that. Um, you know, if I wanted to write a book, I'd write a book. Mm-hmm. I wanted to do it with pictures, you know, art, artwork. I have no desire to figure out um, where I fit in any kind of trajectory or anything. <laughs> I'm just trying to tell this story as best I can. And I have, I, I've kept myself out of the knowledge circle of comics criticism or comics history or any of that stuff because I don't think that's my job. My job is to try to get the story over as, as clearly and as lovely as possible. As I possibly can. Yeah. Yeah. You were mentioning the line you drew on the wall um, to kind of create, I guess, your outline of the story.
Welcome back. I'm talking to Carol Tyler, uh, cartoonist, author of You'll Never Know, Late Bloomer, and The Job Thing. Was that it, the name of it, the first book? The Job Thing, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, and we were kind of talking about the creation of the book, um, and then the phone dropped off, and I was asking about the um, creating the outline of the story. Um, you had mentioned you'd drawn a line on the wall and kind of I guess you how were you using that to weave together the story well you know when I <clears throat> I'm sorry when I drew that first line it was uh, it was only for the sense of saying oh boy do I have a, something I need to go from here to there you know I have something to say <laughs> Mm -hmm. But in terms of, and then I struggled a lot with, like, um, I drew a bunch of stuff, and then I put it together, and it didn't make sense, and I even sent it around, and people would go, ah, you know, what do you think, ah, um, sent it around in the sense of getting feedback, thinking, because maybe I drew a really cool something or other, that that would make equal and the equal a uh, great book or something I put the artwork first and then it was like whoa 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 
Then I drew another chart thing on the wall. And I used post-it notes, and I thought, all right, now back up. <clears throat> now we got to put literature first. What, what, how do I best convey this thing that I have a sense of? Then I had to get really specific about bada being this will happen or I'm going to do this. Then I thought, oh, then I started to think about the pieces, like there's Dad's story. There's Justin and me and Justin having some problems. There's my mom's dilemma of not having full awareness anymore. Um, and then it became like, well, why don't I do that? Why don't I focus on the, the tightest circle I know, which is my parents, my husband, my daughter, and me. There's five stories. So how can I best kind of pull that one off and I kind of just posted noted through it and then I thought but the overarching thing the main thing here the main story is dad so if I ever kind of get off track or I get a little bit like lost or something I'll say what does this have to do with the army dad, dad's army experience what does this have to do with what happened to him in the army and then they'll pull me back because so, there's always going to be a cul-de-sac or I have to feel like I have to side story a little bit or explain or back story a little bit to kind of give people a sense of like like in book two the cancer story mm -hmm. you know where dad camp chemo I called it because at the same time he was up in the Adirondacks which is a very vacation area and he was building a cabin and we would go up there and it was every, anything but a relaxing vacation spot <laughs> place for him to have to undergo surgery and chemotherapy and all that stuff and um but i i i wanted to tell that story even though it doesn't like follow the exact line of but it tells you about him as a man and how he endures pain and how he deals with stuff and the fact that he soldiered on despite you know um the, the what some people would react but he just met his illness with incredible courage so when, when I'm telling the story about World War II and him being a soldier and he tells me things, it's like, how is this not heroic or courageous? He keeps just saying, ah, ah, you know, just a general soldier, you know, regular soldiers. And then that's the bigger thing about the courage to face the things that come in life, like with my mother, you know, losing her child, or how, how did they get through that, or what would I do? And, then my own daughter is having problems. You know, I need to look at how they managed their the crises that came. And these are lessons that we can all live by. You just mm -hmm. sort of have to uh, go forward and do it with as much courage as you can. <clears throat> so, so when I like, I drew the camp chemo story almost first. One of the first things I drew. Yeah. But then I had to go back and what I call retrofit. I had to make sure that it fit into what ultimately I worked out in the storyline. So there were some pieces that I had to go back in and connect our pages or connect our concepts, you know. I learned a lot doing weirdo <laughs> back in the day. Yeah. Because I'd have to do one-pagers and three-pagers and stuff like that. And, and so what this book really is, the secret is, it's a bunch of one and three and five and ten pages stuck together. Not really. But, you know, having that skill of, of 
kind of doing being able to do that and then uh, pulling it into a bigger thing well i mean that's that's a i find that's something a, a technique that's getting used more and more nowadays too with us uh, mm -hmm. with cartoonists like chris ware and mm -hmm. dan Klaus specifically where they're looking at doing their stories and short mm -hmm. page you mean they're chunks. copying me? I think they're copying you, Carol. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's something that, that I think... Did it, I start that? I don't know. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I, I, I think but it's... But I'm doing it on a grand enough scale that it's I, made an impression. I Well, the thing the thing I'm trying to say is is that it's it seems to be a technique that's kind of worked out of necessity almost. But you it's have also... To. Um, yeah, you can't... You can't to tell the story from a you know all the way through it can't you know but it's a, it's a, i'm just joking it's in culture yeah i mean look at the tv show lost oh my god that's all flashback forward sideways every place <laughs> under the sun you know they had a plane crash they died that's the story but it's very interesting along the way you know yeah so uh, it, you know aileen told me years ago i would say i'd sit there and ring my hands and she'd say what's the matter you know and I'd say who cares about my story she said don't you know it's not the story it's the way you tell it yep <laughs> so um, I think about that you know I'm aware of my age and I went back through that ink studs book and I was thinking oh I must seem like a fossil I'm so old all the young cartoonists out there, I'm sure they could care less, you know. But um, I'll be gone someday, and this is what will remain. So I'm trying to do a good job, because I won't be around to go back and fix things. <laughs> well, I, 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 I won't agree with what you said. Um, I do think your work is very, very full of life and vital, and actually it's, to me, one of the, the stronger works that's coming out right now. Um, well, gosh, thank you. I wasn't searching for a compliment. No, I, mean, I really am aware of my. But I will say this: people say to me, "I can't believe you're almost you're sixty. What? I'm fifty-nine. I can't <laughs> believe it. Because no, I've maintained a vitality uh, outlook on life. Yeah. And yeah. I've never put myself into you know. I've got look at my parents. You know, they're ninety-two, and they'll talk about old people as if they're just like. Oh, they don't want to go over to this. I said, why don't you go to the seniors? I don't want to be over there with those old people. <laughs> you know? And they they don't. My mom had a stroke. She didn't throw in the, the towel. My God. She is, um, ama they're amazing. Let me just say that. They've never assigned themselves the role of being old people. Age and is a state no, of mind. There's no, I can't do that. But the, I think that's something in our family, too, because my sister has a child with autism, a daughter with autism. She has never found a point along the way where it's like, well, we, we can't do that because of this disorder. Her husband has Alzheimer's. There's never been a point where she says, well, we can't because of Harry. No. She does everything. She continues with her life, and she just plows through. And both of my brothers are the same way. Why can't we? Yeah. What do you mean? So I, that, that's probably a trait, but it's also, you know, a skill that we 
learn from them and I made a conscious decision years ago I'm it's not that I'm fighting it it's just I don't perceive uh, myself as um, of you know like 59 I know I'm 59 I can see it in the mirror Ugh. and I can see my body changing but at the same time I don't let my mind take that as a as a but that's a some sort of a guideline thing mm-hmm. that's just that I know I must look ridiculous when I teach my class cause I'm up there jumping up and down and <laughs> I do everything I can under the sun to get them excited about life and stuff you know, it's funny. Last year, I saw, uh, I was at a convention, I saw Stan Lee walking by. And this man, you know, he is not a young man. And he is jumping with, like, just some kind of, like, incredible energy he has internalized. And you wouldn't know that, you know, he's in his 80s. He's just jumping around and <laughs> arms waving and just, like, yeah. as much uh-huh. energy as he probably had when he was in his 20s. Only uh-huh. a little less hair. <laughs> A little less hair. That is one of the sad realities, I will agree. <laughs> In places you don't want to know about. Uh, All right. So Wrinkles um, on the toes, too. <laughs> Nobody told us that there would be wrinkles on our toes. <laughs> if you can see it, you got to go find your glasses and put them on. And, oh, yeah, that's right. Down there on my toes, there's some wrinkles. Whatever. Say la vie. Bitches. This is life. Um, we, 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 we've been handed, uh, something and we well, celebrate I mean, it for what, what it's do? worth. Yeah. Just, just deal with it and move on like, like my dad did up there at Camp Chemo.
When you were developing the story, yes. did you have in mind the full extent of it when you started? Um, like, as you're working through the first book or the first stories you were drawing, did you go, okay, here's book one, here's book two, here's book three, here's it mapped out? Or was it something where you kept working at it and it just got bigger and bigger? And like, oh, this is connecting with this, this goes together, I see how... I've responded to this and how this has affected my mother. Um. The answer is no. <laughs> I think there was a question, or the question I picked up was, did I have a sense of the... The uh, whole story. The whole story, yes. To a degree. In that I could frame it. You know, I knew the, the sections, or I, I kind of knew, I had a feeling of like, well, book one, 
I'll talk about this. Book two, I need to talk about this. So, like, for example, book two, I knew it was going to be a lot, calling it collateral damage. Like, it, it's just, it popped out, good and decent man, collateral damage, soldier's heart. Okay, those are the overriding themes. Book one is an appraisement of dad and the situation and um, um, setting the premise. Book two, what was that damage? Okay, it was to me, it's to my child, it happened to my mother, you know, and mm-hmm. I got into the depth of what that damage was incurred. And then on three, I'm going to discuss um, soldier's heart. Soldier's heart is uh, a term from the Civil War referring to what they now today call post-traumatic stress disorder. So it's more about mental illness and uh, dealing with uh, reconciling some of that kind of stuff. So book two, did you find book two to be sad? Yes, um, I did. I or what was your over over what was your feeling the difference between one and two let's say well I don't know if I can necessarily compile a feeling between the I'm two I'm trying to put you on the spot here oh go ahead <laughs> uh, it doesn't no. happen often enough no with with two I felt um, I mean you covered what happened uh, with your sister and mm-hmm. and how she passed away and how that affected your mother mm-hmm. um, and also what was going on with with your daughter mm-hmm. and also your father's chemo um, there was a lot of heavy topics going through mm-hmm. and a lot of unresolvedness at the end of the book like I really didn't feel I'm okay with everything like in the sense that what's going on you know what's going on with Justin what's what's happening so you're looking for the answers to those questions yeah and I realize that's going to come in the next book that's um, yeah and, yeah. and, you know. Because I do see the bigness of the like, one day this will be one solid volume, yeah, and not broken into the three like a serial. <clears throat> so I know that that won't happen when you read the big book. But I can only draw so fast. Well, I also know? feel there's an importance of these are books of stages, and like I said, you're covering the trauma, and the whole book ends with trauma, and you mm-hmm. kind of encountering it. And attacking it through, uh, I guess, a totem of all of that represented in one figure. But, you know, I, I mean, I went into, with book two, I went into the deep, you know, a lot of minutia about sadness. You know, like the bench, and I used that motif um, as like a an indicator of that, you know, at the funeral home, mm-hmm. looking out the window, and at that bench, and the sad, and I used that as a point of reference. And I've visually consciously planted things throughout the book and in book three it's the difficulty with book three not only emotional obviously to have to talk about the heavy subjects but just having to pull the things together like okay i brought up the bench how can i incorporate the bench in a way now that it it's in the light of the new uh the new day that's coming you know how do i put poke this in here place it um, so there are a couple of key things that I bet if you went back and you look and I told you all these little things that I did, um, you would see that. Mm-hmm. Because people say to me, God, I went back, I read it three and four times, started seeing stuff I hadn't noticed before. And that's true, you know. A part of what I do, the part of the 
joy for me is to find things like that, you know, find little pieces of this and that that I can, little set up things or little plants, little pieces that are seeds that then flourish later. Well, you, there's some interesting things you do which, you know, work really great metaphorically, like cleaning out the toxics from the garage. <laughs> God. Yeah. Um, which, that's which, all true. That, that, this is true. Oh, I can believe it. Yeah. But it also it works in a context as far as like it's cleaning out the toxics of um, keeping everything silent, of not mm. talking about this, about about opening up the garage, about opening up the family and mm-hmm. airing it out, um, and putting I don't want to say putting away, but it is putting away when you look in the context with the toxins. Um, mm-hmm. But it it's a release. Yeah. There's some technical things, too, that I wish I could... Uh, hopefully, when the book... That I'll have control over when the book becomes one big book. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, like, there's a, I'm bothered a little bit about the way it looks. You see, I've had... To, let me backpedal. This whole thing has been crazy for me. Because I do a page, scan it at my computer at school, they have the oversized scanners there at campus, and then I put it on a uh, space they give me, because I teach over there, which then Paul at Fanographics can download, and then we have to figure out the page colors and all this kind of stuff, or any (laughs) tweaking over, like, email. Mm Mm-hmm. So when I see the physical book, I love it and everything. I'll think, why is that background so dark, or why is this something? So I'm going to jump in and be a lot more, um, make some changes because I I feel like sometimes those background, the color of the background page, you know how the page itself is a color. Some of that is jarring. Some of it doesn't work for me yeah. because I'm a perfectionist and I want it to be perfect, you know. So I, you know, I have two books that I have written notes in about maybe where something seems abrupt or it doesn't flow right or I'd like it to be like that. When you brought up the uh, toxic stuff, I really worked on a specific color of like icky, pukey, yellow, green. And it didn't convey as strongly as I wanted it to when that page came yeah. printed. And there's other places in the book where I use that pukey. It's like the it's the color of nausea. So there's things like that that I obsess over here uh, in my studio. And then when I see it in print, it's like, oh, shit. Or like when they reprinted my, I, I should have said something, but I didn't know to say anything. When they print, reprinted part of You'll Never Know in Best American Comics, it's clunky because they printed the page border and it looks like there's like a bracket on the artwork. So there's just things like that. I I, I lose control at a certain point and that becomes a bother. So you're reading it, you're seeing it, I'm seeing it like, oh no! You're seeing it like your way yeah. and I really want to hone in on making it the book that it has to be for me to go, okay. <laughs> well, uh, that page, it's good. It's pretty good, but it's it could be better. That page is yeah. one of my favorites in the book because you just it 
you can just tell you just let the when you're drawing all the toxic <laughs> weeds, just like you just let the color bleed and you just let it be a mess. Like yeah. it kind of had this putrid. Oh. You could just smell the your nasal hairs burning. <laughs> oh, God, and he started up a new collection. And he's at Where it does again. He this get it. Of, uh, <laughs> also, uh, uh, what's his name over there? Ted. They were cleaning out his garage, and I went over there. It's like, Dad, you, why did you bring this crap home? Well, um, no, he's he had an episode with asbestos recently, but I'm going to put that in book three. Uh, now that is an add-in because. This was one of the most over-the-top, stupid things he's ever done, and I thought, all right, buddy, you bought yourself two pages in book three on this one. <laughs> God! I love it. What is a fucking 90-year-old man doing, ripping asbestos out of the... What are you doing? <sighs> yeah. Oh. Covered in it. Covered in it, like snow. He comes in the house, like... Ah! Oh. I had to hose him down. He's terrible. He's a terrible. He can't. Oh, he, oh God. Now I'm not going to start telling Chuck stories because yeah. I'm just going to throw it into book three. There's yeah. a lot of it. Um. <laughs>
What did you think of the page where the people are talking back and forth? That's what I wanted to talk about. Okay. That's that's my next thing was the burning car. <laughs> uh, that was like amazing the way you like intertwined everyone's discussions and it's just a lost um, you know what is the story and I kind of feel like that was also kind of symbolic as like a larger look at the work as far as weaving together all these stories and how do you find what is the truth <laughs> yeah uh... <laughs> People out there need to look at that page. Um, yeah, that was a point where I was trying to think, now how am I going to do that? The three of us are talking, and you know how people in a conversation like that, you'll all talk at the same time? No, wait a minute, he did that? Wait, but then he was over there. You know how people will do that. Yeah. So I was trying to figure out, and I did a little color key. You know, my sister's is green or something. My mom's is orange or something like that. I think I'm blue. Mm-hmm. And we were trying to piece together that episode where the Cadillac caught on fire and it happened in the context of the every you know all these this happens a lot it probably happens in all families but in our family it usually is something's going on with one of the dogs Joy who has autism is doing something strange Uh, my dad is doing something strange Uh, there's usually some event involved like it's a holiday or in this case it was chemo and then my brother-in-law says something and then there's somebody says something so it's like all these things happen at once and I'm sure like I said it happens in families but when it happens in my family it's funny (laughs) so I hope I remember to put in there that my mom was holding the pineapple bag with the ostomy products in it on the hillside Maybe. I don't know. But we read it the other day, and we were laughing our asses off because it was like, that's right, the car caught on fire. It's just like another story. There's tons of them. <laughs> no, it was. I. It seemed like you're really getting into um, playing a lot more with the page dynamics in this book. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I had to pull it back into uh, conservative conservative realm somewhat uh, for three because I'm really trying to hammer down the ending. I don't want it to fly away like a frazzled end of a rope or something. You know, Mm -hmm. I really want it to be um, uh, back to um, something that's satisfyingly solid. So I am uh, enjoying book three. It's very tough for the emotional reasons, like I said, and the technical reasons, but it's also, there's a physical problem I have with, um, oh God, right now I have a class I'm teaching on Monday mornings, and there's my other class, and so uh, there's just a lot of, like, other stuff going on now, so um, hard to get the work done, but I'm doing the best I can, it's never going to be perfect, but uh, I try to accommodate my family's needs. My dad just fell and broke his shoulder, you know, geez. So we've got, you know, the the people in the story are living and breathing and the lives are, life doesn't stop just because you pick up a pen. <laughs> I was reading that in your blog last night. How, and it, it sounds just like something you describe in your comic where he has this horrible injury and just 
I'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, was that on my blog? Yeah, you wrote about how he dislocated his shoulder. Yeah, he dislocated his shoulder. And you can't um, jar it back into place or something. Well, he's he got in his head in a uh, minus. I don't know. It would be centigrade, but super below zero, uh, cold weather. To take a tarp off of some wood that had termites in it, it's like forget that out in the yard. But no, he trudged out there and um, pulled that tarp off, and then pushed it, kicked it down the basement stairs. And when he was pulling it onto something, he fell back and dislocated his shoulder. But he sat there with it for a week before it was even diagnosed. He's ugh. <laughs> He's unbelievable. Um, I, I noticed too that uh, I endure a lot of pain because um, I had surgery this last year, and they put me on dope, and I just had to get off that. I didn't want to be doped up. And people were saying, "No, you can go ahead." The nurse was saying, "You can go ahead. You can press that button." And I was like, "I don't want to press the button." Yeah. Said, well, you have earned the right to have your morphine. I said, "I might have earned the right." On one level, but on another level, no way. That's such a ridiculous... I I have such a weird feeling about someone saying you've earned the right. It's like this kind of sense of, here, you can get high. It's okay because you had surgery. You had major surgery. We just cut your abdomen open, lady. <laughs> I just said, it's okay to be high. Like That's what she's basically saying. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I But, you know, there is legitimate reason, and that was... I know what she was saying. Yeah. But when I had... Uh, finally came back into my real body and there was another thing where I had I had to be oh I think colonoscopy saved my life Uh, that's why I had to have the surgery but it was a colonoscopy and I was coming out of this thing and I came back into my physical body and I thought oh my god I live with so much pain I don't even notice it Um, because you know you just accommodate forget about it but we are really uh, people that we live with our scars definitely well, you, women have a certain uh, threshold for pain that most don't. Well, that men don't. Uh, there you go. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> uh, as as documented in the uh, birth of your child. Oh God, <laughs> it's true. You um in this you you discuss your drawing space, and I'm wondering how that affects your work with the bench or the not the bench but the table on the cinder blocks. Has it, well, working, has your drawing space changed, or do you yes, still... Yes, it's changed, yes. That that was, um, you know, I, I, I've been trying to reinforce in that my um, true sense of poverty. Yeah. In uh, the way I, I mean, I, I can't physically work on a plank anymore. Um, I do have a table now. <laughs> And a tilted board that I put a sweatshirt behind, and it's just the right height. Because I've had suffer, I have suffered with tendonitis and stuff like that. And I thought I found a way. My dad tried to make me a little drawing table tilt-up thing for the for a tabletop, but that doesn't work. It's too much of an angle. So I finally figured out just a table with a slanty board is what works. Um, but it's still quite humble, you know. I don't have um, uh, fancy anything. Uh, just about everything I have in my house is either something I put together with two by fours or 
uh, is from the curb. Um, part of it is a conscious decision I made years ago to live a life, a simple life. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to have uh, a extravagant home. I don't want to work to have to keep the mortgage on something fabulous or even worry about losing stuff. I like the idea that at any moment I could maybe leave, go somewhere else, do something else. So it's kind of a combination of part nun, part hippie, part um, (laughs) practical. I don't know. No, everything is just like um, shabby chic, whatever you want to call it. And then every once in a while I just clean it out, just get rid of it and start over. Or like I'll I'll consciously change banks. I've been banking for with this bunch for a long time. It's too much of a routine. I need to mix it up, change it, so I'll go start it over with somebody else. So I, I, I always try to keep it fresh and keep it moving and keep it mobile. I don't want to feel entrenched or tied down. So my drawing studio right now is probably the best one I've ever had because I am involved in a large work that I've been at for seven or eight years now. Seven years? I figured out. I found a book October dated October first, two thousand four, and that's when I started the book. Oh, okay. October first, two thousand four. So how many years is that? That's six and a half. Six and a half years working on this. Yeah, and you know, I did make with my saws and stuff, I made tilt tables and I've got it kind of rigged set up that it works. But it comes down to just sit down, damn it, and do it, you know. Draw, pick up that pencil. Nothing fancy here. Just do it. Um, most of the battle I have is with distractions. That would be. Uh, that was something I made sure to look at. I didn't look at last time was your Kramer's Ergot page, uh-huh. which is, which is your battle with distractions, I guess. Uh huh. Yeah, that's that's mostly what I. Yeah, I like to, I like to do all the things that people normally like to do, and I really am looking forward to the day when I can just go. Phew, this is done. Because uh, it is, as much as I understand it to be an important work, and I love it, and I feel honored to do it, I'll be glad when I'm done. Mm-hmm. It's it's a lot to have. When I look back at the two books, it's like, oh my God, I've been working my ass. This is a lot of work. <clears throat> so um, I do have a fun project that I keep promising myself for when I'm finished, and I'm actually starting it this summer. I don't know if I should talk about it, but. The studio, yes, is functional. It works. It's uh, it's this time and place. I'm very yeah. happy to be doing it. Well, it's uh, it's it, it's interesting. Like um, knowing that you started on it six years ago, that would have meant, I guess, when your daughter was what, like nineteen or eighteen. Yeah, the timeline in book two is screwed up a little bit. I mean, the timeline, sorry, for you, you'll never know. I had to fudge it a little bit because it wouldn't have worked if I had done it with her actual you yeah. know, thing. So the only uh, curve that's really bent it would be her age. Yeah, And that's not what I'm referring to. I'm just meaning the fact that you're able to kind of be free up to put more what I see is you're able to free up and be able to put more into your cartooning where you wouldn't have been able to before. Well, you know, I got accused for years of being uh, someone who didn't have an output of cartooning. Mm -hmm. And it's like, people, I was raising a child! (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. (laughs) 
if you're going to do it right, you don't dabble in either one of them. Yeah. Yeah, so now I'm uh, you can done only, with that. You, I don't have a grandchild yet. <laughs> so, um, so I yeah, I live a very simple life by choice. But part of it is to... Um, Cartooning isn't lucrative. No, I've never had the luxury of health insurance or, you know, new cars or stuff like that. But I've had, I have absolutely looked at, had had to, and chose to look at life with a different lens. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could be belly aching the whole way. Yeah. Or, or, or what good is that? I keep a positive mind. I've always done that. Um, I, somebody in college said to me, how come you're always so sunny? <laughs> I said, I didn't know I was. Sorry. <laughs> oh. Um. People get happy when they're around me. <laughs> That's true. My students are like, boo. You know, because I really um, get in there and Yesterday I read, I did my interpretation, my theatrical interpretation of the origins of Superman for them. <laughs> <laughs> now, is this the, the character origins or the creator's origins? Okay, let me back up. In my class, because of the way the culture is moving at warp speed, mm-hmm. I pull them back from that uh, that level on the speed dial they all have to do reports on cartoonists people who have legacy behind them not like somebody brand new i want them to know who you know who's jack kirby who's harvey kurtzman etc so and who's you know they don't even know they can't see past uh let's see they like frank miller they (laughs) like manga that's about it so when they read, they find they discover somebody like S. Clay Wilson. They're like it blows their head right off, <laughs> or crumb. You know, I always give S. Clay Wilson to the evangelical girl who shows up in the class. <laughs> she has to report on oh him. God. Yeah. Oh. Or you know, I've had fundamentalist Christians that are doing reports on crumb and stuff like that. It's just fun. It's great. Yeah. Here's Genesis. It's just... <laughs> Yeah, and um, there's, you know, I kind of, I know, profiling, but I do give them works that I think that I want to rock their boats or, you know, rock their worlds a little bit. And then they have to, I bring in these hats. I have a, my dad's old fedora, one of my mom's pillbox hats, and then I've discovered that I'm leaving out Jimmy Olsen, so I'm going to bring on a clip-on bow tie. But they have to do reports on these artists. I call them the Clark Kent, Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen reports. They have to go physically get the book. No Wikipedia shit. Yeah. Physically go out and get these books. Read them. And then tell us what is about it that got your mojo going. I don't want to know who's born in Cleveland in what year. I want to know why this work makes you excited or not. Or shocks you. Or pisses you off. Or you love it. So before they do their reports, I start the party by getting my Clark Kent report. I put on my dad's hat. I read them the origins of Superman. Goodbye, my son. 
Goodbye, son. There goes little Jor-El, you know, the whole yeah. thing. And I gesture out, and I do it in a real corny way, like like a Greek tragedy or something. <laughs> and I use an, a clunky old overhead projector. So the thing is going... And I'm like, we're doomed! <laughs> Pound the table. <laughs> How old are they, the students? Oh, and then here's, look, oh, they're college kids. I said, oh, look here, Mom and Pa can't. They put the rocket ship in the back of their truck, and they go to the orphanage. Right. You know, and they're like, this is just crazy to them, you know. Oh, look at the little babies picking up the, the man. You know, and then I goofy things and the piece of cake. I don't know if you remember that, where he, he bakes, makes a giant oven to bake them a giant cake. <laughs> don't remember that. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, it's it's a... I was a Batman kid growing up. Okay. And <laughs> and I'm not really a comics person, but I feel compelled to start them out with the kind of a basic thing, which is Superman. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and they just look at me like, wait, Miss <laughs> Tyler, God, Dr. Tyler, they call me. <laughs> it's funny. I'm cooking up some good shit in there in my class. Does that energize you as a cartoonist, kind of engaging constantly with newer cartoonists and kind of seeing stuff through their eyes? Well, I, 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 I'm, I teach them stuff, basic stuff. It's, to me, it's just like, you know, you're teaching somebody the basic. Here's a ruler. Here's how you do ink, ink with a ruler. Here's how I make a straight edge. Um, but I'm, I'm always, I feel like my real job is to leave them with a sense of enthusiasm for their own work, for the for their artistic self. Yeah. And um, I accidentally made a girl cry the other day because she didn't finish her work, and I went off on a tangent about it wasn't a tangent; it was a rant about showing up for your life. Yeah. And nobody's going to tell you to be a cartoonist or an artist or anything. And I said, you know how hard it is to get in there, sit at your drawing table come up with a gag line, draw people, draw hands over and over. You know how hard this is. And you know what? It would be so easy to just turn on the TV set. But if you don't show up for your life, then raising kids and having a job and all this stuff, it's just mundane, and you're going to hate yourself. Yeah. You're going to hate your life. Show up, damn it! You know, I'm <laughs> talking like that. This girl started crying. Oh, my God. Because her goal in life, I think her goal in life is to be um, to grow strawberries. <laughs> She just took this class for the She wants to be a farm girl. Yeah, she was just taking my class, and I'm up there just like, (laughs) It's, the other day I was out for lunch with a friend who, you know, he draws comics, but he's, like, complaining about not, his productivity isn't very good, and I was just like, well, what do you do when you're not at work? You drink, you party, you hang out with friends. It's like, if you really want to do comics, you got to put in that time. Mm-hmm. It's not going to wait for you, you know. Well, I tell my students, okay, you've joined the comics class. You can cancel a social life. If you have a boyfriend, tell him you'll see him in three months. Or girlfriend, same thing. Look at the clothes you're wearing now. Just keep them on. <laughs> <laughs> you can take a bath when we're done. Hunker down, people. Yeah. Life as you knew it was over. <laughs> Yeah, I have a reputation of being kind of a weirdo. And then I went up to CCS 
mm-hmm. Center for Cartoon Studies. I was a guest artist this fall. And I thought, oh, you know what I think I'll do? I think I'll do something where I'll try to connect the two classes and do something with Skype. So uh, I got my students started on a project, and I videotaped them. The joke was, or the thought was, they'll start a comic. Students at CCS can finish it. They can email each other and become like pen pals. Well, in the class, I told everybody, I said, all right, let's pretend we're starting a comic. I'm doing a regular lesson. And then when I leave the room, you guys pretend like you're having a party. So you just bail on the comic. So then I have to go up to CTS and tell those kids to finish. And they will, because you know what? That's a professional cartooning school. Mm -hmm. And they will finish. (laughs) We videotaped it. And then I took the videotape up there to CTS and showed them. And they decided that the joke on my class was going to be that when it was time to tune in on Skype that they'd be partying because I got called out for a phone message. So I started the Skype thing. I'm up at CCS. Oh, here's my class. Hi. They're going to be doing your work and blah, blah, blah. So, that you know, we're talking to each other. And then somebody comes in from the office and says, Miss Tyler, that you have a phone call. So I go out of the room for a second. And then the CCS kids say to our kids, to hell with this. Let's party. And so I got both classes on this kind of fake dance party by Skype. What do you think? <laughs> it was funny. I guess you had to be there. But yeah. they thought it was fun. Yeah. And my uh, presentation, they said, was very lively and fun because I did that. I tried to get them to understand that most of what life is about is uh, this thing where you have to be, like, alive and happy and all of that. I got to uh, visit CCS just for a day. Uh, yeah. And... and December. It was quite an amazing little thing they have going there. Yeah, yes, yeah, funny little storefront thing. Yeah. Did you stay in that hotel? No, I stayed with one of the uh, former students, uh, oh, Jen okay. Vaughn. Don't know. I probably know her. She has Maybe very she brightly there. colored hair. I probably saw her there. You know, I'm terrible with names and I was self-conscious I, and stuff. So. She works at the library. Oh, I know her. Yeah. I do know her. Yes, she was. Um, she brought some stuff over. She's Wonderful. very nice. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so she gave me the full tour, and I got to meet lots of folks. And it's really amazing just how much work people are putting into their comics. And yeah, you know, it's good to see. As a comics reader, I feel good about comics right now. That's good. Yeah. Um, tell me about your jacket. <laughs> yeah, the liner, the M forty three. Yeah. The jacket, I do wear it around. I think there's a picture on my Facebook page or something of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I wore it to Seattle. It's um, the authentic jacket liner that I found in the stuff. You know, my parents have a bunch of stuff. And I just started putting some of his patches on there and adding my own patches. And one of the reasons why I wear it is... Um, to keep our costs down, we keep the heat very low in here, and it's fucking freezing, actually. <laughs> so um, the M1 liner, is there. it's great because it doesn't have an armpit. You know, it's a jacket liner, and it's lightweight. And so I put that on over my 10 layers of clothing, 
and it adds just that extra bit of warmth without bulking up and without pinching the, uh, working on my pinched nerve in my shoulder. And so I wear it when I draw. I drew, I've drawn most of the book in the M1 liner, M, uh, sorry, M43 liner. And um, it, 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 and I have a lot of artifacts that have collected. I don't know what's going to happen one day, but there's like the jacket and there's some other things, accoutrements that are related to the book. Yeah, I've kept little book. I make little booklets. I got little army guys. There's all kinds. I made little fences, little yards, just fooling around, you know. When you're waiting for an idea or something, <laughs> waiting for ink to dry. So I have a whole bunch of little things like that that are the peripheral physical things of process doing the book. But it does exist. I thought maybe I should, you know, auction it off or something. I don't know what to do. But if there's ever a display of my work of the book I'm sure the 43 would be on display it's uh the, I love the photos of it it looks like it's been a lot of fun putting it together yeah it's in the book and I wear it so it's it's a, it's something that's physically real along with the bad hairdos <laughs> <laughs> I'm suffering from that right now <laughs> you got a bad hairdo yeah I need to get a haircut my hair just gets messy uh, I need Don't. a haircut Okay. <laughs> uh, I think I got my questions asked, Carol. Oh, good. Um, we've had a swell talk here. I really appreciate you taking the time under your cartooning schedule and your teaching time um, to yak with me today about You'll Never Know. As I said, I really like, I was, when I finished the second book, it, it really felt like, the first book was excellent, but the second book really pushed it to that next level where you see the the larger arc to it. And yeah. it really feels like, you know, just one of those significant works. And yeah. I'm sure the third book will be equally stellar. Well, I, I can only hope because, like I say, there's no guarantees. I'm going to just do the best I can, and the purpose is to tie the things together. I've You'd asked about how much is planned ahead of time. Most of it is, but then I still have tripped into some things that I didn't expect. Um, not only my dad with asbestos all over him, but <clears throat> there, <laughs> sorry, there were a couple of other things that have come up that I thought is just important and worthy and should I, and yes, I have. And it's, there's a couple of surprises that just, oh God, they're just, over, they're overwhelming. They're just like, oh God, I'll have to say this. I've said it before, somewhere maybe to you, but this book is definitely coming from something beyond me. You know, I talked about my sister dying, tragically, mm-hmm. and I do think that she has a hand in this. I think I'm being guided, because I, I, I could not have thought of all this stuff on my own. I could not have gotten into these levels and come up with these uh visual solutions, this kind of creative craziness, I do believe that there's some kind of thing. I, now, I don't know if this is not religion or anything like that, but I do believe I'm being guided, and I believe it could be her. I don't know. But I have a sense. She's helping me to tell the story of the family. Yeah. It's a grand work. And thank you. Thank you so much, Carol. Thank you. 
we'll talk again, and I hope this is we will. the interview that, that you were looking for. <laughs>